there once was a man named Abram, who was a descendant of Noah. God told him to move with his wife Sarai, an entire family away from where they lived. God made a promise, I will make you into a great nation and bless you, and all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram and his family left. At one point, they stopped and God told him to look around. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your children. Then, one night, God took Abram outside. Look up and count the stars. This is the number of children you will have. But Abram was already 75 years old, and Sarai was way too old to have children. So they decided that Sarai's servant Hagar should have Abram's child. Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Yet, God told Abram again, you will be the father of many nations. God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah and promised that it would be through Sarah that God's blessing would come. Exactly as God promised, Sarah became pregnant, giving birth to a son named Isaac. When Isaac was still a young boy, God told Abraham to take his son up on a mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham took Isaac, laid him on an altar, and took out his knife to kill him. But an angel stopped Abraham, and God provided a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. Years later, Abraham and Sarah died and left everything they owned to Isaac. Isaac married and had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite, and as the oldest, he was set to gain his father's inheritance. But Jacob wanted the inheritance, so he came up with a scheme to trick his father, who was now old and blind, into promising it to him. He dressed in Esau's clothes and put animal skin on his hands because Esau's hands were very hairy. Confused, Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob and promised him the inheritance instead of Esau. This caused a huge fight, one that almost ended in murder before they went their own ways. Thankfully, they reunited and God promised to bless Jacob's family. Jacob had 12 sons of his own. And like his father and grandfather before him, Jacob had a favorite son. Little did Jacob know that his favoritism would put his son, Joseph, in danger of being killed by his own brothers. There's a story an author writes about a time when he was visiting a friend in California. And he was playing around with his friend's uh, cell phone. And he said, what's your password? I need to make a call. And he gave him the password. It was a very strange password. It was the Latin words pro nobis, which means for us. And so he asked his friend, he said, why is this your password? And the man started to respond and kind of choked up. What he said was this. When I was going through the most difficult point of my life, when I was really struggling, those words really pulled me out. They healed me. Pro nobis, for us. God is for us. 
And he went on to describe a time when he was a teenager and his mom and dad divorced one another and he was devastated. He had no idea this was coming. And it just, it, it unhooked him, it untethered him from his anchor in his life. And he wondered about God in the midst of it. Where are you, God? Have you forgotten about me? And then God revealed himself in powerful ways and he came to this conclusion God is for me, God is for us, pro nobis. Friends, you are going to see throughout the scriptures the consistency of this reality. That God is for us, God is for his people. God is for you. That God has a plan and a vision for your life that goes beyond anything you've ever imagined or even asked for. We read that in Ephesians chapter 3. Pro-nobis. We read in Romans 8 that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pro-nobis. And this morning as we look at this scripture, you're going to see that reality. That God is the God who is for his people. That before time, God had a plan. He wasn't caught off guard by Adam and Eve's sin. He had a plan. In light of that brokenness, in light of your brokenness, in light of my brokenness, God had a plan, and he set it in motion at the very beginning. And we see this beginning in Genesis 12 today as we read through these incredible scriptures. And what I want you to see this morning are three great truths. Three great truths. And as we look at these, I'm going to introduce something to you that we're going to talk about throughout this series. It's called the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is, what is God doing in heaven? What is God about doing on the earth? And the lower story is our story, the story of people. So this morning what we're going to see is the upper story is, God is initiating his plan to prepare a people, to prepare a nation to receive his son. And on the lower story, what we're going to see is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah. Don't lose sight of that as we go through this this morning. Here's the first truth that we want you to see as God builds a nation. The story of our salvation The story of the works of God begins with God and his work in restoring our broken relationship with him. Friends, salvation comes because of the work of God. Life comes because of the work of God. The impact that we are able to make in this world as individuals and as a church comes because of the work of God. And we see this in this amazing passage. It begins in Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to hear these words. The Lord had said to Abram. Now Abram means father. It translates to the English word father. Now it's very ironic that Abram was unable to have children with his wife Sarah. And so every time somebody would call out his name, it must have been a terrible reminder of his situation. Now, having children in that culture was even more important than we talk about having children today. 
Because in that culture, your inheritance, your ability to impact the future and eternity was through having children and impacting those children and passing on to those children. That you had an inheritance that could be received by someone. So it was very, very critical, very important. But Sarah was unable to have a child. At this point, Abram was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. And we read these words. God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had called him. This is, this is the clearest first impression of the coming of Jesus. And we're going to see that this morning. But in this first point, what I want you to understand about this is that everything begins with God. Your ability to believe begins with God. The Bible says that, with, um, that no one can say Jesus is Lord with faith without the work of the Holy Spirit. I came to Jesus not because I was so clever or so smart it's because God revealed himself in me and called me as his child. God worked in my heart and revealed himself. It always begins with God. So I want you to see these three things that fall under this first truth. The emphasis of salvation, the emphasis of the work of God is on what God does and not on what we do. If you look back at, at uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 4, this is one of the most important passages in the entire scripture. When you look back on those four verses, six times in four verses you read these words, I will. The Lord says, I will. He is making it clear to Abram and to us that this is the work of God, not the work of Abraham, not the work of Sarah, not the work of the people in this church, not me, not you. It's the work of God. If great things are going to happen in this church and in this community and in this nation and in this world, it's going to be because God stirred within his people. He empowered his people. He worked through his people to change the world. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will build a nation through you. The world will be blessed by you. God says, I will do it. When it comes to our own salvation, we have come to Christ because of what God has already done in us. We are grateful people because we did not come to him on our own, but God stirred in our hearts gave us the ability to believe so that our names could be written in the book of life. And so we say, God, thank you. We praise you. If we are going to make an impact on this world for the sake of the kingdom of God, it's going to be because we as individuals lay our lives before God as we say, God, have your way with me, as Abraham did. God, do what it is that you want to do to change eternity through me. I will go where you send me. 
I will say what you call me to say. I will do what you call me to do. I will be what you have called me and created me to be. And then his lives are impacted. It's not because of us. It's because God is doing it in us and through us. And that is what we see here and throughout the scriptures. I often say, if anybody's life is changed by anything I ever share in life, I understand this. It's because God has done it. I, always, I often say, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through me. Amen? Don't take that too far, friends. <laughs> I know you're, that many of you are picturing me with a tail right now. <laughs> Here's the second thing I want you to see in this first point. God's plan to save humanity began with one man, Abraham, and was fulfilled in one man, Jesus. The plan was established through Abraham. So what is going on here? What is God doing? Now Abraham doesn't have the full picture like we do. What is God doing in the upper story? Well, here's what he's doing. He's calling this man Abram, and Abram, who was unable to have a child with Sarah from a human perspective, and he tells him, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now that requires children. I'm going to make you into a great nation. What is the purpose of that nation? It's to be a prepared people to receive Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the promise that God, the covenant that God made with Abram, as we see here in Genesis 12, is so that this nation would receive God in human flesh. That they would know who God really is. They would recognize that this is the Messiah. And so God gave this nation laws. Receive as his inheritance. Obeyed and went. You ready for this? Even though he didn't even know where he was going. He has called us to do and to be. When we say yes to God, I want to live the life you've created me to live. Then what God does is this. He uses us to change the world. He uses imperfect people, just like Abraham and Sarah, who are two of probably of the most celebrated people of the Old Testament. Far from perfect. There is some evidence that Abram and Sarah were, were not even worshiping God when they were called by the living God that they did not even know him. That region where he came from was known for its pagan worship of many gods. We don't know. We see that Abraham, in or out of fear in order to protect himself, twice he lies and gives his wife to other men, telling them that she is their, his sister. Why? Because he's afraid, and he's not trusting that God will protect him, that God will watch over him. God will watch over him because God has a plan that he's going to fulfill through Abraham. So Abraham cannot die before that plan is fulfilled. But Abraham, at a point, had to learn and grow in faith. Yes, he took that big step, but he had times where he struggled, just like you and me. He had times where he wasn't obedient, 
we see it again here. At this point, God had made a promise. We've got to enter into this. Abraham was 75. Sarah was 65. Her womb was closed. She wasn't, from any human perspective, she couldn't get pregnant. They couldn't have children. God makes this amazing promise. They're excited about it. Year after year after year goes by. 11 years have gone by. Abraham is now 86. And Sarah is 66. She's not getting any younger. The chances of having a child are getting more and more and more remote. Ten years. God, I don't think you're going to do it. God, I don't think it's going to happen. You ever thought that? God, I'm not so sure anymore. I don't know what to think anymore. I just don't think it's going to happen. And so Sarah and Abraham, they take things into their own hands. And Sarah, and this sounds really horrible to us today, but actually it wasn't that uncommon back then, particularly if they were unable to have children. So she gives Abraham her, uh, one of her servants and says, I want you to have a child with her because it's so important to have somebody from your line. And so it wasn't God's plan, but they do it. And Ishmael is born, not of Sarah. Ishmael is born. And what you saw in your reading was that God blessed Ishmael. Doesn't that say something about God? It wasn't his plan. His plan was Isaac. But God blessed Ishmael. Friends, God uses imperfect people who make mistakes. Maybe you've made a major mistake in your life. Maybe you've made lots and lots of mistakes in your life. I've made lots and lots of mistakes in my life. But God is the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. He waits for us like the, prodig- like the father waiting for the prodigal son. He waits to embrace us as we come home. And he says, I not only want to restore you, but I want to continue to use you. Don't give up. Don't stop seeking to be what I have created you to be. You can begin again. God is a God of mulligans. You can begin again. You know the mulligan? You hit that ball off the tee and it goes whoop, and the hole's over here. What do you say? Mulligan, right? What we do is we come back to the Lord and we repent. God restores us. I've known so many people who have made major mistakes in their life, who have given up, but I've also known many people who understand the truth that God uses broken people to change the world. That's all he has to work with is you and me. And we are broken. We continue on and we see this third. And I, this, is, this is extraordinary to me. Now, they've aged even more. 
Moses is about, Abraham's about 90, 100, and Sarah is 90. And God opens her womb. Now, I think it's kind of remarkable. If I was choosing to do, a, uh, do God's plan, I wouldn't have gone to Abraham and Sarah, right? They're just not in a child-bearing stage in life. I would have go, gone down to the neighborhood gym and found some really young, fertile people ready to go. So why does God choose Abraham? He chooses Abraham, I think, to show his great power. He chooses Abraham to teach us a lesson that God always fulfills his promises even when we don't see how it could happen. And he chooses Abraham because Abraham will show great faith. We see it in the story of Isaac. We trust and we obey, but it's God who provides. It's God who provides. I want you to see on this, in this passage, I want you to see what happens. When Isaac's about 12 years old, God commands, he commands Abraham to take his son Isaac, the promised one, the one that they have waited for, and he tells them to go up Mount Moriah. And up Mount Moriah they go. And they're to offer a sacrifice. Well, what Abraham understands is there's no sacrifice available apart from his son. So Isaac, think about this, is brought up the mountain with his dad and he even asks his dad, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Abraham knows his son is the sacrifice. But we read in the New Testament, the New Testament tells us what Abraham's perspective was. Listen to what he said. He said, I believe that God will raise him from the dead because I know that he is the fulfillment of the promise of God. And that promise cannot happen without Isaac. So it says that he reckoned that God was going to raise him from the dead after he sacrificed him. Is that amazing? That's faith. That's faith. That's understanding that God is the God who always fulfills his promises. God is the God who always fulfills his word. And so what does he do? They go up the mountain. And then an angel, it says... The angel of the Lord comes, and before he's able to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord says, do not, uh, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now fear God doesn't mean I'm scared of God. Fear God means I revere God in such a way that I will obey everything he commands me to do. And so he says, he, re he fears God, he reveres God, because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. God, Abraham looked up at him, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. What is going on here? 
Well, God already knows what Abraham's going to do. God is showing Abraham the depth of his faith. God is showing Abraham his commitment to God. And he's showing Abraham that he is the God who provides. He is the God who provides. Friends, what I think is extraordinary in this passage are a couple of things. This all points us to Jesus. Now, let me just share a couple things with you. They went up Mount Moriah. Because of archaeology, we believe now that Mount Moriah represents the very place that Jesus was crucified. It is Golgotha. It is the place that Jesus, the only Son of God, would be sacrificed. God offered the ram as a sacrifice so that Isaac did not have to die. God has offered Jesus Christ so that you and I will not die, so that we will live forever with him. It is God who intervenes. It is God who provides. Also, the angel of the Lord. I believe, and um, I've studied this, many scholars believe that the angel of the Lord is Jesus. The angel of the Lord, angel simply means messenger. The angel of the Lord is a phrase that you will find in the Old Testament. It often talks about an angel or angels. But when it says the, the, the angel of the Lord, it's a reference to Jesus. So it's Jesus who said, do not lay a hand on the boy do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Why would an angel say you have not withheld from me? I want to ask you this morning. What are you withholding from God? Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning the one person who is Christ. He is the blessing that God promised. So God prepared a nation. He prepared a people. And the people were prepared to receive God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. He was the one they were waiting for. But here's the tragedy. When God came among them, most of them didn't even recognize him. He wasn't what they expected, and they rejected him. I wonder, would we recognize Jesus if he came in human flesh and was among us? Would we recognize him? Would we receive him? Would we fall on our knees and worship him? God has provided his son as the sacrifice for your sins. There is no other way. So that by trust and faith, you might have forgiveness in life. Blessing. Blessing. And he says, I will surely bless you and make your, your descendants as numerous. God has blessed us. 
we read on and we see the promises were spoken to Abraham as well. I'm going to close with this story. I was, um, many years ago, wow, it was about 25 years ago, Beth and I were living in, in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. We knew God was calling us out of the church we had been at for about six years. And we were, oh, I was, really struggling with that decision. Beth wasn't struggling at all. She knew God was calling us. Me, I was worried about safety, security, finances. Could God provide? Those were the things, that's where my mind was. And so my option was, do I go to Michigan, where we had an offer to go to a church, or would we go west and would I go back into business? And I remember we uh, took about three weeks to make this decision. It was January 1, 1996. And I was laying in bed. I called the church to say that we were coming. As soon as I hung up, do you think I felt relief? Oh, no. I felt a wave of anxiety and worry. What have I done? I was afraid. I didn't even know Michigan was part of the United States. And it was 2,000 miles away from all of my security. All my life was here in California. It wasn't in Arizona. It certainly wasn't in Michigan. I'd never lived in snow before. And so my little Amy came in. Amy was about four years old, I think, at the time. She comes in, and she says, Daddy, I want to ride a two-wheeler. But we had tried that about a month before. Didn't go so well. I said, oh, honey, we'll do this later. We'll do this. No, 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 Daddy, I want to do it right now. I'm ready. No, honey, I, I, I don't want to do it right now. No, 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 Daddy, please, please. Okay, so got out of bed, got dressed, went outside, and we lived in a cul-de-sac, and she got on her little bike, and I'm holding the back of the bike to keep her steady, and away we go with her helmet and everything, her pads, and, and off we go. And she's pedaling, and she goes about 15 feet looks back at me, doesn't see that I'm holding the bike, hits the brakes because she, she thinks I'm not holding the bike. I run into her, and then I don't want her to fall, so I fall and catch her and the bike. I don't have pads. I don't have a helmet. So I said, Amy, why did you stop? She said, I didn't, you weren't holding on to me. I said, honey, I was holding on to you. I was there. I couldn't see her hands. Honey, I am holding on to the bike. Happens two more times. The third time, I'm just now a little bit frustrated. And the third time it happens, God spoke to me. And I don't have lots of experiences of this in my life, but I have some. Spoke to my mind and my heart as if it was a, a, an audio voice. And here's what God said to me. Isn't she just like her dad? And God flooded my mind with scriptures. I will be with you to the end of the age. I am not only in Arizona and California. I'm already in Michigan. 
And I realized that God was saying to me, just pedal. I got the bike. So we rode bicycles all the way to Michigan. No, I'm teasing. No, of course not. Friends, here's what I want you to see. It was a huge risk for me. We were there for 21 years. I got to see God do amazing things. I get to be part of an amazing church just like this one. I got to see God do things I would have missed completely had I never said yes, had I never just peddled and moved forward. And God may be saying to you this morning, just pedal. I will provide. Just move. I will be there. Just go. I have a great journey in store for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this story that is our story, that points us yet again to Jesus. Story that, that helps us to see, Lord, that you indeed are the one who works in our lives as we allow. That all we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is go. All we have to do is pedal. Lord, that you are the one who works in and through ordinary broken people like us to change the world, to change eternity, to accomplish your plan through the church. For we believe the church is the hope of the world. God, empower this body as we say yes to you in every way that you are calling us. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us energy. Give us passion. Give us clarity. And we'll say thank you in the name of Jesus. For those of us who have put faith in you, we thank you. Because you said to us, I will change your world. I will bring forgiveness. I will save you. I will give you eternal life. I will make you a blessing in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.